and join us in singing I Release. There was a time in my life Thought I'd have to do it all for myself I didn't know the grace of God was sufficient Didn't know the love of God was at hand But now I can say If you are discouraged, struggling just to make it through another day, you've got to let it all go, let it all go, and this is what you've got to say, I release and I let go, I let the strife with my faith I see the light I 
Reverend Catherine McLeod. Welcome to the Center for Spiritual Living. Something wonderful is always happening here, and today is no exception. I was here for the early service, and uh, it was just a great, great deal. So uh, you've got something to look forward to today. We are a spiritual community that blesses all teachings and all spiritual teachers. We know that there is really no wrong way to worship, and whether that's lighting a menorah, lighting a candle, repeating a mantra, or offering a prayer. We know that even though the path might appear quite different, the destination is the same. We are here to inspire the recognition of spirit in all. That's our vision. We're delighted that you're here today. And if you're visiting us or if you'd just like to chat with someone after the service, please go back to the welcome table and there'll be someone there to answer any questions you may have and to give you just a little gift with some information about our center. And now will you please stand and join this wonderful music ministry team as we do our opening you might congregational feel more comfortable sitting. Oh I yes, think. I remember what song this is. <laughs> yeah, you will. Please just stay seated. It's easier to get into the zone.
I really just hate now to start with the announcements. That was so wonderful. But we do have some great announcements. There is something always going on here. And voice lessons is one of the wonderful things we're doing. Robin and Anna Beaumont are fabulous musicians and teachers, and they are giving us a workshop. You can sign up for this. It's called Facing the Fear of Singing and Discovering How Your Voice Works. You'll learn about the physical and emotional blocks and unleashing your creative expression. So you can read about this more about this in your flyer, and you can sign up for this at the back after the service. Thursday, July the 9th, is our regular business breakfast meeting. It's an exciting time to be part of business breakfast success. It's really been a great success, this business breakfast. You can register today after the service. We just like to have the numbers to uh, put the catering order in. It's a $20 buffet breakfast, and you will learn spiritual tools and spiritual partnering, partnering in business. Our guest speaker is our own Reverend Connie Nissen. Her topic sounds great. Alive, awake, alert, enthusiastic. It sounds like a great wake-up call. On July the 10th at 7 o'clock, Random Acts of Talent. That's our own fabulous teen group, and I was here for it. I think it was last year, and was just blown away by the talent of this group. It was just funny, fun, and inspiring to see that the uh, talent that this group has. The Woodies will be here from Nashville, and they're a ministry team of singers, and they're also a great, uh, a great duo and wonderful performers. Tickets are on sale today for $15, and they're at the events table at the back. Our first Circle of Love gathering is in beautiful Kelowna. You've been hearing about this. Our own Reverend Patrick is one of the facilitators and organizers. There are some wonderful and inspiring speakers and great musicians. So please have a look at that, and it would make a wonderful summer holiday destination. And finally, the International Centers for Spiritual Living Summer Conference is in San Diego. If you'd like to go a little bit further, San Diego is a wonderful place in California on July 27th to 31st. Carolyn Miss is one of the presenters and facilitators, and Byron Katie, two wonderful authors and presenters. So flyers are in your program, and there's lots of information on all of these wonderful announcements. And now I'd like to introduce our featured soloist, our very own wonderful woman of wisdom and talent, Robin Walters. Or we could start when you're ready. Are you ready? All right. Sometimes we do that. We start before the guitar player is all ready. All right, let's try that one one more time. <laughs> Leaky faucet dripping in the kitchen. Rubber squealing, watch out in the alley. Marley's probably late for work again. Birdie singing, telling me to get up. Such a soothing sound floating on the wind. I just keep listening. It's funny how you speak to me in such mysterious ways. I can hear you. It's so amazing how your voice keeps breaking. 
There's a church bell ringing at the hour, like an old friend calling through my window, with the laughter of the children playing down below. You've got a way of getting my attention, in the rhythm of life everywhere I go. Somehow you they sounding great today they are our practitioner team today is Laura Cameron Vicki Pickard myself Elaine Warwick and we are happy to be in prayer for you this week if you'd like to fill out that little card in your program asking for what you'd like more of in your life we'd be happy to do that for you we also will be doing one minute ministry after this service and now I'd like to call on Vicki for our reading Thank you. Good morning. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Our reading this morning is from the book we've been studying for some time now, The Trance of Scarcity by Victoria Castle. And it's on generosity and giving. A wise woman was traveling in the mountains when she came upon a beautiful, clear stream. Thirsty, she cupped her hand and reached in and brought the water to her mouth. After she had drunk, she noticed a precious stone in the palm of her hand. She held it high, and it glittered in the sun. And delighted, she tucked the treasure into her bag. The next day, the wise woman met a hungry fellow traveler, and without hesitating, she opened her bag to share what food she had. Immediately, the traveler caught sight of the precious stone and asked the woman to give it to him. She did so without the slightest hesitation. 
The traveler left rejoicing in his good fortune. This stone was surely worth more, worth enough money to provide a lifetime of security. But only a few days later he came back, his brow furrowed, and returned the stone to the wise woman. I've been thinking, he said. I know how valuable this stone must surely be, but I've brought it back to trade for something even more precious. Please give me what you have within you that enabled you to freely give me the stone. Now, please join me in welcoming our speaker today, the spiritual director of the largest and most vibrant New Thought community in Canada, our spiritual director, Reverend Patrick Cameron. And now for some... Good morning. For something completely different. I'm reminded of... Uh, uh, Brown is on a holiday today, and so we're going to do a little something different with the, our opening song. And um, I was reminded uh, earlier about uh, when Bob Dylan... I, I remember I actually worked on Robbie... Robertson's house in Los Angeles years ago as a car- carpenter. And Robbie was interviewed. He was in the band with Bob Dylan. And when Bob Dylan went from doing acoustic folk music to uh, heavy metal, and Robbie talked about the experience because they were the backup band of how they would go into an uh, auditorium of 20,000 people and the booze would just move from one side of the room to the other side of the room for two and a half hours while they played because everybody wanted to hear Bob's old stuff and Bob was playing his new stuff. So anyway, they were not... We're not quite making that large a departure today. <laughs> we didn't get any booing at the first service, so that was good. <coughs> and I want to thank everybody and Cam. Isn't he great? I think Cam should come and hang out with us more often. So we're going to do it in this very room, and we're going to do it a little differently today, but I'm going to invite you, if you'd like to stand while we sing it and do our prayer, that'd be great. We're going to go through it the kind of the way we know it, and then we're going to do a little quicker version. We're going to go through it twice today. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear for spirit one spirit is in this very room in this very room in this very enough love for all the world in this very room there's quite enough joy for all the world there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear for spirit one spirit is in this very room, in this very room, in this very room. 
So know with me in this moment, one power, one life, one infinite divine intelligence. In and through and as, all of life, everywhere I look, there's not a spot where I do not see the beloved. It is in all form, and so I celebrate that. And as I celebrate that, I'm reminded that that is who and what I am and whose I am. And so I'm reminded of who I belong to, which is the, the one life, the one power, the one presence, and whatever is required in my earthly experience to move me forward in thought, word, and deed, productively, dynamically, creatively, and in freedom. I call it forth now in my experience. And so I just give thanks. I give thanks for music. I give thanks for a voice to sing, to laugh, to speak my word, for ears to hear, for eyes to see the beauty, for taste, for the opportunity to touch and feel and hug and be hugged. All these blessings and more. So I give thanks this day as I stand in this powerful consciousness of gratitude and awareness and generosity and giving. I give thanks for this and so much more. And with that said, I release these words and invite you to say with me, knowing it is done in the mind of the one together, and so it is. Beautiful. Wow. Almost didn't want that to end. Thank you, Kim and Robin, Jordan, Carmian, Cash, Jonathan. And Vicki, for your, your beautiful reading. It's a great story, though, isn't it, about wanting to be present and available to the qualities that would, would inspire someone to give so generously of that which they have. In, a, in this, you know, this spiritual journey, this spiritual living, I mean, we're, we're a, a community that bridges all religions. Martin Kerr said to me a couple weeks ago, he said, you know, it's interesting, people don't, he, Martin's our, one of our musicians, and he said, you know, people say they don't like organized religion. What do they want, disorganized religion? But religion it has its benefits and it has its drawbacks, of course, and many of us can go on and on about that. But what has brought us together is spirituality. What has brought us together today is the idea of wh why things work. I mean, we truly are a, a study in how things work. The consciousness precedes experience. And so when, when we're moving along in our lives, we're having experiences based on the seeds that we've planted. We're, we're, we're sowing and we're reaping as we go along. And so it, it's a... It's a challenge at times to look at our lives because many times our lives don't seem to be working for us in ways we'd like them to work. And yet, if we have the wisdom and the understanding, we can move forward more effectively, I think, and not be, continue to blame ourselves or shame ourselves about some, in some way we haven't measured up because we always measure up. We always measure up at the level of consciousness that we are. One of my favorite pieces that I got out of this book this, this past several weeks was when Victoria Castle said, we don't get what we want. We don't get what we want. We get what we expect. Subtle shift, but it's so true. We get what we expect. If we expect things to work out, they'll work out. They may not work out to the way we want them to work out, but they're going to work out at the level of consciousness. And so it's, it's our opportunity to work with ourselves and see where we are and what we're doing and, and how we're moving forward with our own lives. When we meet people that, that come from generosity, it's a different experience. Have you ever met anybody in your life that, that, that's been generous with you? 
You know, I mean, uh, part of the beauty of this, this chapter this week, she talks about teachers that have touched our lives. I think that the, one of the wonderful gifts we can share with teachers that have touched our lives is to take the gifts they've shared with us and pass them on. So when I stand in front of you today, uh, the, in each week, I'm reminded many times of things I heard over and over and over again sitting in classes with wonderful, wise teachers that were, whose shoulders I stand upon today. And that's part of that generosity of giving. It's a generosity that it allows all of us, even as a carpenter, wonderful people that I apprentice with as a, as a carpenter and learn and ask questions that without them, you know, I would have floundered or I would have eventually, I think all of us will get there. I think it's just nice to not have to recreate the wheel every time we turn around. And so I, I feel very blessed. I mean, I stand each day and one of the prayers that I do is this idea of gratitude, to stand in the gratitude. There's a, a wonderful book I finished this week by Houston Smith called A Tale of Wonder. And Houston was an amazing man. He's 90 years old. His, his epilogue or at the end of the book is dated May 31st, 2009. I picked the book and I thought, wow, this is what, the end of June? How did I get this book so fast? He's just gone into uh, assisted living. He's 90 years old and he talks about that. But he does, he's an amazing man. If, if he did a PBS series back in the 50s on world religions. And part of his practice was he would find it, and he's, he, was, he was raised by Christian missionaries. He was born in China. And a wonderful read, wonderful book. Um, but he, he raised in China by Christian missionaries. And then he started studying the world religions. But he said that on the block that he grew up on, grew up on in China, every, they had every religion in the world. They had the, the Muslims, they had the Hindus, they had the Buddhists. And he said, really, China's religion, and we were there a couple years ago. We took a group of people from the center with us, or they took us one way or the other. But China's religion is really uh, very much based in a, a lot of the superstitions they have that have just moved up through the, you know, the various modalities of organized religion. But they're very, they've got a lot of superstitions around numbers, the number 8. That's why the Olympics were 8-8-2008. Eight, 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 um, they don't believe in straight roads because evil spirits have a tough time navigating straight or curved roads. Uh, they'll build their houses with the ends of bottles sticking out because it, it intimidates the evil spirits into thinking they're cannons that are going to shoot them. It's just very interesting. But he said that whole, the whole culture is permeated with these kind of ancient superstitions and beliefs. And belief works. Consciousness precedes experience. So if you believe a certain thing will protect you, by all means do it, I guess. You know, my mother used to stick a rosary in my pocket every time I went out the door. She'd stick a rosary in there, make sure I had clean underwear on because I might have got hit by a garbage truck. That was one of her big concerns growing up. Is that garbage truck was going to nail me one day and I'd have dirty underwear on. <laughs> so that was mom's belief, you know. So, and, and I bought into it, so I always made sure I had clean underwear on because that was my protection against getting hit by a garbage truck. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. Appreciate it. But anyway, so what Houston did, and the reason I bring Houston up is Houston would go and he would study. We study Houston in our, our ministerial training because he was an eclectic. He would find all the traditions. And so what he would do, he studied Buddhism, Islam, um, uh, the Hindu tradition, and he would practice about 10 years practicing it, along with his Christian tradition. You know, Dr. Holmes used to say, I'm Christian and more. But one of the things Houston would do is he would, he would read about it. Then he would go find the, the leading expert in it on the certain tradition. Then he would apply the practices in his life. Then he would write about it, and then he would teach about it because he, he was a teacher. He taught at MIT. He taught at Berkeley. He taught at uh, Washington University in St. Louis. But an amazing guy. And he went over to Japan to study with a Zen master. And they went through all these disciplines with the Zen master. And actually, 
One of the people he interviewed back in the 50s for a PBS series is a guy by the name of Suzuki. Now, this old book has been knocking around our practitioner room since I got here, and every once in a while on Sunday, I'll pick it up and just look at it and go, well, this guy's pretty cool. Well, it turns out it's the same guy that Houston Smith was talking about years ago. And he went through, uh, he went through some training in, in, in Japan, and he talks about that, that he got done with all this rigorous training. And at the end of it, he went to see the, the Zen master, and the Zen master says, you know what, forget all of it. Forget all of it. Really, it's about gratitude. It's just looking around your environment and, and being grateful. Being grateful for... You know, we can look up in this building and be grateful for these beams that carry this ceiling and for the lights and the electricity and the, and the electricity that we run through the, the, the musical instruments. But gratitude moves us out of this sense of, of stagnation because what happens is when we, when we constrict in our thinking, we can't move into that, that new dialogue that wants expression that will express the patterns and the possibilities and the new ideas. And that's the whole purpose of, of, of spiritual practice, I believe, is to be open to the possibility. Houston Smith married a, the daughter of a man by the name of Dr. Henry Wyman. And Dr. Henry Wyman inspired Martin Luther King so much that he wrote his dissertation about this man and his philosophy. And Dr. Wyman believed, this is very interesting, back in the 20s, he said, God is not a, the creator, God is the creative process. Sounds very similar to what we teach, isn't it? God isn't the creator, God is the creative process. And so for us to, to, to shut down the possibility, see what happens many times we come in the door and, and, and life is, is marinated, as I like to say. It's prepared us. Sometimes we feel like we've been beat up. There's a great story that Houston Smith tells in his book about the woman that says, come on over to my house and see this garden. I've got this amazing garden. And so the guy, woman or whoever goes over and they go out back and here's this big patch of ground with nothing on it. It's just dirt. And uh, she says, what do you think? Isn't this great? And the friend says, well... There's nothing growing. It's just, it's just dirt. She says, yeah, but there's no weeds. <laughs> and I think that many times we, we come in and, we, and we, if the goal is, as Victoria Castle talks about, if the goal is relief, we can have relief. I mean, we can, if, our, if our goal is relief, see, I don't think relief is, I think relief is just a starting point because we come in. I mean, I came in these doors years and years, 20, over 20 years ago because I was suffering. My life didn't work. And my spiritual practice was worry and concern. And then I would do the math of who I owed what, who owed me, what I owed, and when it was coming due. That was my meditation all week long. My meditation was uh, I was adding and subtracting in my head. Hmm. Oh yeah, I got to pay that bill. I got this coming due. I owe this. I want to save enough money to do that all day long. And so that became a meditation. So I got what I expected, which was more of that because that was my spiritual practice. And I had to give that up in order to move into a new experience, and it was really uncomfortable. So those, as Victoria says, those that we run into that, that, that have this, this generosity of spirit, there's a, there's a life about them that's quite beautiful and wonderful. Have you noticed that? She says here that if you think about the generous people you know, they're the folks who are lavish hosts. They're neighbors who mow your lawn when you're busy. I have a little, we have a little lawn at our house. It's really small. And so I have a lawnmower, and we have a new neighbor. And so it takes 10 extra minutes to mow the lawn. And so I've just been mowing it. The, the neighbor we had prior to that didn't have a lawnmower. So I just, I've been, I'm in the, I've been uh, taking care of the lawn now since I moved in. And so she, she came out the other day and said, thanks for cutting my lawn. And I said, you know what? I said, it's my pleasure. I am happy to do it. And I said, if it ever stops being joyful for me, I'll let you know. Well, I will. If I'm doing it out of resentment, then I'm not giving. 
But it's always an opportunity. And, you know, it, the patch of grass is, you know, it's 12 feet wide. Another 12 feet wide is going to, you know, put me over the edge? I don't think so. But uh, I just, well, you know, part of it, I'll tell you, and part of the evolution of that for me was I used to feel resentful. I'd cut it down the middle, and then they wouldn't cut their side. And then I'd, you know, I'd be indignant, and hey, look at them, they didn't, I know, no pride of ownership here. Opinion, 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 opinion. And I'm so much better, 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 because they don't take care of their lawn, and I take care of my lawn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's... Oh, I got to tell you, I'll get back to the lawn. This was so great. The other day I told Laura I came home and I was still laughing. I'm going into the Otwell Shopping Center, right? And I'm driving along and, I'm not, and, you know, and I, don't drive, I, I, I don't drive fast. But I pull in there and there's a line of people. There's six cars lined up just like they're in, in formation waiting to pull out. As I pull in there, they're in that left lane, their right lane, ready to... And there's an elderly couple at the front of the line. And he's got his handicapped parking thing swinging there in the window. And he's sitting there and he's looking through the... You know, the, the, the gap underneath the steering wheel, when you see this little gray head, and you see him looking back and forth, and she's sitting next to him, and there's six cars lined up, and there's no traffic. And I'm thinking, well, okay, eventually he's going to pull out, I'm sure, because the, the five cars behind him, I know, are thinking he's going to pull out eventually. And as I pull in, and there's a line there, and I pull in, this guy, another guy with the handicap sticker, right, all alone, doesn't even see the line of cars. He just is looking left at me and waving at me, and he just pulls up and pulls out right in front of the whole line of cars and just takes off. Without stopping, without missing the beat, he was in his own universe, and I just roared. And I'm watching the people behind this cute little couple, and they're just mad as hornets, you know, and honking their horn. And I just thought, you know, isn't it interesting? Because it was quite, I mean, and and so I I could judge that, or I could celebrate it, because it's so typical of us. We get, you know, we think, we're oblivious. We're wandering, driving along. I had some guy the other day. I don't know what I, was, I had done, but he needed to punish me for something. I just, whatever. I was driving around the corner here, and I, something I did ticked him off. But I just thought, isn't it interesting how we're just tripwired for revenge? You know, and so my neighbor's not cutting their grass. Was, oh, they're horrible people. You know, and, I'm, and I've already figured out what religious denomination they are, and I've already decided that what political party they are, and they're probably not Euler fans, they're probably Flame fans, and they're probably, you know, they probably don't even like hockey. It's the kind of people they are, you know, that kind of thing. I you would not want to like hockey in this town, I'm telling you. Anyway, but then I realized one day, I said, the only person that's having a problem with this is me. So get your head right, man. You know, if it's a problem for you that the grass is anything, go cut the grass. And once I made peace with that and I got behind it, I thought, you know, this is easy. I can put that down. But I, I, I look for the opportunities in my own life where I could, because I'll go there. I'll go there and I go, huh, what is this all about? Who put, you know, who made you master of time, space, and dimension? You know, as if I'm, I'm, the, I'm the final authority. I don't want that job anyway. But I mean, it's those little moments like that. And so I pulled in and I saw this guy just cut right out in front of everybody, happy as a lark, waving at me. He was totally oblivious to the six cars sitting there. And it was just like, he's just flying away. And everybody else is beep, 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 and beating on the dashboard and screaming out the window and honking the horn. And I've been in that line. I've been in that line many times. So it's, I think it's so important for us that in those little moments are teachable moments for all of us. You know, so generosity is so important. Generosity of spirit. 
You know, when I, I, I finally, I'll tell you, one of the great phrases that's worked for me over the years is I realize people are doing the best they know how. Because it's so easy to, to hold people, you know, hostage in our minds. And then I realized I had a plumber. I, I've told the story many times. My plumber, buddy Tom, lived down the street from me. World's slowest plumber. World's, without a doubt. If there's a competition for the world's slowest plumber, I'm calling Tom. We're going. I'm going to sponsor him. We'll get t-shirts, hats, everything. And finally, I realized one day, and I was, oh, I'm doing Tom's inventory for him years and years and years ago, and I'm contracting. Too much work. More work than anybody should take on. And I got Tom running all over town. And finally, I realized, you know what? Tom's doing the best he knows how. So either get a different plumber or make peace with this, because this is what it is. And I've got to tell you, man, that was, like, that was like taking a 90-pound backpack off my back. But I was just trying to make it work, trying to make and pouring so much energy into it and opinions. And so I didn't do that. My, my reasons for, were, for doing that were not all altruistic. That, you know, this will make me a fine person, someone that I can be proud of. Someone, you know, that's a stand-up person. What I, I needed was some relief. I was at the relief stage because it was killing me. He was happy as could be. He didn't know. He didn't care. So the point being is, and then over time I realized, you know what? I can do that with everybody. Everybody's doing the best they know how. It doesn't mean we can't do better. I'm doing the best I know how today. Based on the consciousness I am today, I'm giving you the best I have. And I think my teachers would be proud of me today. And, I want, and, and the people that I'm accountable to, I want them to be proud of me. You know, my, my stepsons and my wife and my family, my mom. You know, my mom's just an amazing mystic. And so it's, it's a... But it is, is, those are spiritual practices. In the book that uh, Houston was talking about, when he got done, he went through this rigorous training for a month in Japan with the Zen master, and it was really something. I mean, they, they, they uh, had to sit with the, the lotus position with their legs, so he practiced that for months before he got there because that was one of the things they would kick you out if you couldn't sit in the lotus position, which I, I've never been able to do. But it, at the end of it, he went to see, he went to, um, he went to see his teacher, and his teacher was not in his robes, and he just said, you know, take this. T-. He, he said, what's important is not the thought process. It's not the thinking. It's not more thinking. It's the practice. It's the posture, and it's the meditation. It's the posture and the breathing. It's not about more thinking. It's about less thinking. It's about cleaning out our consciousness in a way. So it's those spaces in between the awareness. He said that if, you, if we believe, if our goal is to once again wanting, if our goal is to want enlightenment, you're wasting your time. You're wasting your time because we are, we're all the Buddha nature. We're all the Christ. We really are. We're all the Christ consciousness. And there are other practices, spiritual practices on the planet that really guide and nurture that. But I think we have to be practical mystics. He finally went, he'd written this book, The World Religions, and then he went to uh, Syracuse University. He was at MIT. In MIT, they just, they looked down their nose at him. He said, you know, well, this is guy, he's into religion and that's so, that's, that's so old. You know, all these intellectuals around him. And he said, every time I wanted to leave MIT, because he knew it wasn't a good fit, they kept giving him more money. So every year he'd get a raise. He said, I'm out of here. And they said, oh, no, we'll give you more money. Because was, he was very well known, very prestigious for him to be on their faculty. So finally he said, I've had enough. He went to Syracuse University. And he said, the great thing about Syracuse University is that there was a reserve five miles from the campus. And he would go out there every Saturday and he'd hang out with the chiefs. And he said that one of the chiefs came to him one day and he said, you know, when I was, he was the first, this particular chief was one of the first people that had gone through formal education from that tribe. First one. And he said his elder took him out one day and they were out on a lake in a boat. And he said, so, he said, uh, name's Oren. He said, Oren, you've been going to school now. You're probably pretty smart. 
He said, so tell me who you are. And he said, well, I'm, you know, I'm Warren, whatever his last name was. And, and the, the elder said, no. And he said, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, and he went down the list and he said, no, he says, look over there. He said, look over there. He said, you see that bluff over there? He said, you're that bluff. He said, you see that tree over there? You're that tree. You see the, those rocks over there? You're those rocks. And, I said, we, and, and so all of the traditions, all of the traditions, that the truth and the, at the depth of, of and he, he, in Houston Smith said, I was embarrassed. I'd written about all these world traditions and I hadn't written about the aboriginal people. And he studied with these people and he learned and he went to, he went to Australia and he studied with the aboriginals there and had some amazing mystical experiences in both camps. See, spirit wants to be expressed, and if we're available to it and listening and paying attention and the guidance we need to move through the next thing, when we're, we're confronted with something in our lives, you know, I don't know, but something within me does know. I don't know, but something within me does know. Go right there. Go right to that source. I'm going, you know what, I'm getting the yellow pages out right now. Something, something within me knows, and I'm going there, and I'm going to listen what the conversation is. And the, and the synchronicities of it are just remarkable, remarkable. Someone called me after last week's lecture. And started interpreting my dream. I shared my dream last week. Started interpreting my dream and saying, no, no, you need to put yourself in the middle of the dream. And I, you're right. And I was in the, part of my dream last week I shared, I was, I was doing a seminar for all women. It was all female. Everybody was a female. And they were all chanting. They wanted the third thing. We want the third thing. We want my dream, and I couldn't pull it up. And through some of that coaching, what I, I became aware of is that that feminine aspect of myself is looking for expression. And it's very close. It's very close. And that was the deeper level of that dream when I started to think about it through that, that conversation. There's something there that wants to be expressed, and it's that feminine nature. For all of us, the feminine nature, in balance with that, that proactive um, masculine nature. And what wants to be expressed? What's just under the surface? Because that's what that dream was about for me. What's that third thing, seeking expression? But I think that's the journey and the opportunity for all of us, because we're always in the process. It's never over, which is, you know, it's the exciting thing. Once we get this, that it's, it's a continuation, then it's fun. And I look back at the follies of my own life where I've, you know, I've, I've held people in judgment because I wasn't generous enough in my own heart to say, you know what, they're doing the best they know how. Wow, look at that. I wonder how that's going to come out. I'm still wondering how. I should have stayed there for a while and see how that line of six cards, they might still be over there. We should go after service and see if they're there. Mark Twain said this. I love the quotations in her book. Mark Twain said, Keep away from people who try to belittle your ambition. Small people always do that. But the really great make you feel that you too can become great. Do you feel like you can be great? Are you doing great? You doing great today? I feel like that. See, and, I, and, and whatever great is for me, I, know I, don't have to, I don't have to have the formula. I don't need all the answers. I just have to say yes. I just have to show up willing. And if I'm willing and paying attention, then the doorway's open and the next conversation and the next coach shows up and the next opportunity and the next insight. See, it's a journey. And you go, oh, that's good. Oh my gosh, that's good. So I get this whole thing about, I, I get this whole thing about um, feminine intuition. And I got a book at home somebody gave me in Southern California. It's a book on angels, okay? Anyway, and angels are higher thoughts, okay? <laughs> angels are higher. Well, the, the challenge with all this, I was raised with all the holy cards and all the saints, Okay? And, and all I can tell you is that it wasn't empowering for me. And I think that where I think angels are higher thoughts. So anyway, I get this book on angels, right? And I'm sitting there, and you're supposed to page to it and ponder, right? And then you stop when you're, th- you know, you're ready to... So I'm, I'm, I get this whole hour conversation with a friend of mine. We're talking about this feminine wanting to be expressed. And, I, and this book is supposedly, if you have a question, you hold the question, and you're, you're guided to the right and perfect. And it's a couple, three, four pages on each angel. 
which is a higher thought. And I open the thing up. I go, okay, I'll think about this. I open the book up. And the whole chapter was on feminine intuition and listening. And I just thought, hmm, isn't that interesting? Wow. So I guess I better pay attention to this because I've, I've gotten the message twice now. Whatever that is, I'll let you know because I'm still working with it. I don't know the answer, but something within me does know. And so I'll move with that and I'll work with that because that's part of my teacher that's showing up in my life. One of the things she talks about in this chapter is how she, she was broke. She had $86 left and she went to a workshop. And the teacher said to her, the, te- the facilitator said, okay, here's your checklist. She said, gratitude. And she said, I got that. I checked that off. Gratitude journal, got one going. So the next was positive attitude. Got that. Check that off. Good to go. He says, being clear about what you want. Check that off. Right there she is already still wanting instead of expecting. And she said, and then the following, she said, and be sure you're giving away some part of whatever you have, no matter how small the amount. And at that point in time, she said, well, she's not talking to me. I only have $86 left. What am I going to do? I'm going to give anyone 86 bucks. I'm going to give something away. Come on. And she said, she raised her hand. He said, so excuse me, but you know what? I only have $86 left and I can't seem to find a job right now. She said, do you mean I should actually give away part of that? And the teacher smiled at her and said, wow, how exciting. Only $86. You get to jump in right away and learn this quickly. Yes, I suggest you give away 10% of your $86. Give it to someone who has enriched your life. Oh, and be happy when you give it. Give it with an open heart. And so she said, she, she said oh, what, what, what difference does it make? She said, you know, I'm, I'm broke. I'm going to be broke soon anyway. So she wrote a check for $10 and she put it in the basket on the way out the door. And so she went home and she was expecting everything to shift and change immediately. You know, she'd put her 10 bucks in. There's her ticket to freedom. She said, the next morning I woke optimistic, ready for the tide to turn. The three companies I was currently pursuing had my resume in their hands and would surely be calling at any minute. She said, I'll skip, I'll skip the waiting part of the story. They didn't call, but something else happened. A friend mentioned that a new restaurant had just opened and they were looking for experienced servers. I had spent much of my college life waiting tables. I can do that with my eyes closed, she said. So she went to work. And she said, what happened for her in those three months? Next three months, I went home with money in my hands every night. I was able to pay my bills, sleep soundly, and have my days free to look for real work. I was issued a uniform, got great meals for half price, and enjoyed socializing with my co-workers. It was no Cinderella story. But no bag lady story either. I waited tables only three months because then I had landed a job in Seattle hundreds of miles away. And a guy helped her move. Didn't cost her anything. But anyway, the point being is, when we, it's the practice. It's the practice. See, generosity and giving are practices. They're huge and they're powerful practices. There's six practices in this book. It's about the practice. As the Zen master said, it's about the posture and the meditation, and it's about the breathing. And what it does is it helps the spinning, that spinning mind. See, what happens for us, we create karma through our thinking. We plant seeds, the law of cause and effect. Dr. Holmes talks about it in the book. We have karma, but we're constantly changing it. We're never stuck in any one condition because consciousness is always shifting. So our karma becomes that, a result of the seeds that we planted. Thought is that consciousness precedes experience. And so what seeds are we planting? What seeds are you planting? What seeds am I planting each day? And are we going to reap that, uh, the harvest of that crop? And if it's lack and limitation, we have more lack and limitation, which is frustrating. So how do we break out of that pattern? And it is through practice. It's through giving. We have these new cards that are in the program today, the uh, intentional giving cards. Oh, there's mine. It's under here. If you've seen them, the green ones. And I'll tell you about this intentional giving program. 
Our pattern used to be summertime because it's you know we have less attendance on because people travel. It's holiday, you know, it's the summertime and there's vacations and people and it's great. But what used to be our experience here and was a shift for us as a board and as a community is we ask you know how can we maintain our level of service and not go into this huge dip each each summer especially. And so over the last couple of years, our, our level of giving has maintained itself and actually grown. And part of it has been this intentional giving program. And intentional giving allows us to, from a practical standpoint, it allows us to budget and to plan program. From a spiritual perspective, it allows all of us, and I'm in this program, Laura and I are the first ones in this program and have been since I got here. Because what I know about spiritual community and I know about spiritual practice, I can't get up here and talk about anything I'm not willing to do. But the people in the intentional giving program for a long time have been saying, I wish I had something to give because many times the basket comes by and I, I look like, a, you know, I look like a, a schmuck sitting here not putting anything in. I said, do you think so? Do you think people are really paying that much close attention to you? Because I don't think they are. But anyway, so we have these cards. And so if you're part of that intentional giving program, what we invite you to do is as you come in, we'll put these in the programs for several weeks so you get used to looking at it. And beautiful affirmations on here. But you can put that card in in place of putting your envelope in. And even if you're not in the program, but you want to put something in there and bless it and start the practice, it's practice. It's systematic giving. It's living in the generosity and realizing I give because I can. I give because more and more good keeps pouring into my life. I give because I believe in the consciousness of abundance. That's what Victoria Castle's talking about. The affirmation on it from Dr. Holmes, when you truly serve others by giving, you will receive so much more than you had ever dreamed of. You will be enriched in ways you cannot conceive of. That's been my experience. And I didn't start out that way. I didn't start out that way, but now I know. My faith is there. Dr. Wyman, Houston Smith's father-in-law, said that faith is not belief. Faith is moving ourselves to work towards the highest ideal possible, the highest vision that's possible. And I believe that's what inspired Dr. King to write his dissertation about Dr. Wyman. Faith is not belief. It is moving us to the highest ideal, which is social activism, which is taking it, rather than just keeping the weeds out of our garden, it's planting as well, planting the things we want to see come up. Is it roses? Whatever the, whatever the crop is that we want to grow, it's planting those seeds. Just getting rid of the weeds isn't enough. It, it's part of the process, but, but the other part of it is the opportunity to plant. And the, and the small generosities that show up in our lives, sometimes when, we're, when people are all tense and stressed out about things, sometimes we can show up in the, in, the, in the joy and celebration of how funny we are. I mean, me driving into that parking lot and watching that, I know that the laughter and joy I got out of that had to affect somebody because it was hilarious watching it. We were in New York City a, a few uh, years ago, and I've told the story, but it's, it's worth telling again. We're on the subway. Have you ever been on New, New York City subway? Anybody here? Ever done it? A few people? It's an, ex- it's an experience. And one of the things that I didn't know when we were riding it is you can't stick your leg or arm in there and hold the door because that subway's on a schedule, and in it, nobody's holding that door. And so Laura and I are at a, at, a, at a stop, and we're trying to figure out where we are, and, we can't, I, and I'm not sure. So I'm looking at the map, and I say, okay, I'm, and let's get off. So I, I, I get off, and just then the door shuts. And I've got the backpack, I've got the subway passes, I've got all the money, I've got both cell phones, I've got both wallets, I've got everything we own on my, in my back. And there's Laura standing inside the subway going... <laughs> and I'm standing there, and I don't know what to do. So I... So I, I fly into action. I run up the steps, and we're a long way down. I go up a couple flights of steps, and I, go up, I get outside, and I look around, and I don't know where I am, and I run in a circle for about two and a half minutes. I'm just running back and forth. Trying, I don't know what to do, and I'm like, I'm in a panic, because I've just, you know, if I go back to Edmonton without her, how am I going to explain this to people? <laughs> and I'm never going to be able to replace her. So I, I run back down, and I start thinking, well, she'll probably wait for me at the next stop. So I get back on the 
go, and go to the next stop, which was Grand Central Station. And, and my fantasy is she's going to be standing there like, you know, disappointed and annoyed, but she'll be standing right there. I get off the subway. She's not there. I'm like, oh, man. And now my heart's just racing. And once again, I go back into my spiritual practice. I start running around in a circle for a couple more minutes. <laughs> Because I got all this energy going, and I don't know what to do. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm going to go, and I don't know who to call. And I lost my wife. This is a cute little thing about that big. So, uh, but what had happened was there was a, a woman on the subway with, sitting next to Laura with her niece. And it was obvious what, <laughs> I don't know what Laura said, but it became obvious that this was a problem. And so what she did is she gave Laura enough money for the payphone so she could call me on the cell phone. And I, and, and I didn't realize, because I'm, I'm running around down in the catacombs and there's no cell reception, so I'm still looking for him in the panic. But she finally called. Actually, she left me a message. I got the message and we hooked up. But if, if it hadn't been from that, that small kindness from a stranger, and we don't know who she was. I mean, it was 75 cents, but it was huge for us. Oh, my gosh. You know, that was life-changing for me. My... my my heart was in my throat. I thought, oh, oh my gosh. So now we have a plan. Whenever we go to the subway, don't we have a plan, honey? What do we do? <laughs> we have a plan now. But those small kindnesses that come along that change our life sometimes in, our, in a big way. And how we can be that, that, that presence in the environment that just shows up and says, there is enough. There's enough. We're starting Daniel Pink's book next week, A Whole New Mind. Did you know in the United States that they spend more on trash removal and disposal than 90 other countries' total gross national product? Just on trash alone. I mean, it's amazing how, how abundant we are. We have more stuff to throw away than 90 other countries on the planet. So when we think about the perspective of abundance, what we have in our lives... So much, so much to be grateful for. So many wonderful things. And what is abundance? It's a wonderful book talking about how that whole, that whole paradigm is shifting. See, having is a good thing. We're here to, to, to celebrate life. But it be, becomes our sole, uh, our sole driver. It, it doesn't serve us well. It doesn't serve us well. And we know that. We know that there's something about it when we get into that mode of hoarding and, and lack and scarcity, the trance of scarcity that Victoria talks about. It doesn't serve us well. And so I think it's so important for us to have the practices in our lives, for us to talk about, and for me to share with you my own evolution, and I'm sure you have stories about it too, where you've clamped down and you've held back and you've withheld because there's not enough. So when we do that because we believe there's not enough, what are we telling the universe? What seeds are we planting? What consciousness are we in that new garden? Rather than just pull the weeds, what seeds are we planting? I think the seeds of possibility and, and, and freedom and, and joy and celebrate and to live in the joy as Victoria talks about in this chapter, when we give from the inspired place, more inspiration shows in our lives, shows up. It just comes because we're in that flow. We're in that. When we're giving from that place of inspiration and joy and, and possibility and expectation, great things continue to happen. Uh, as a matter of fact, talking about this, I've been working on this for, and along with our, our ministerial team here for a couple of years, but Dr. Michael Bethwith, we're bringing him to town October 20th of uh, 2009. He'll be in the fall. And he'll be here. He'll be here. We're looking for a venue right now. We've got a couple of them narrowed down. We tried to get the Windspear. It wasn't available. We looked at the Shaw. Not available. We've gone through the list. But we, we are uh, narrowing down a, a venue right now. So, but it's, it's exciting. And, and, and I celebrate his ministry. Doctor, nobody does Michael Beckwith like Michael Beckwith, if you've ever seen him. He's an experience. 
But the reason that I want to do it is I want to expose as many people as possible to what we teach. Because you can be a Hindu and you can be a Muslim and you can be a Catholic and you can be a Lutheran, you can be a Protestant, you can be whatever you want to be. You're applying these principles in your life. And Dr. Holmes knew that. And see, the clearer we get about applying these principles in our life, and the sooner we do that with a greater consistency, change our minds and keep it changed, the world is going to outpicture that for us. Every time our consciousness shifts in some small or large way, however we measure that, the world has shifted and changed because we're all connected. As that elder said to that chief, or that young, that young brave who's now the chief of that tribe in North, upstate New York, you're that rock, you're that tree, you're that bluff, you're the water that we're floating on. And we are. We're all connected. And we're all supported. And what we believe is that we study, as I said earlier, we study how things work. And so as I embody the consciousness of what it is that I, I expect... It shows up in my experience. It, it can do no other thing. It can do no other thing. So may you and I continue to, to work in that direction. May you and I continue to embody and welcome the changes and the possibility and be permeable to that and to be open to that because that takes that generous heart. It takes that space where it, can, it has a place to settle and be part of us. So I celebrate it. This is exciting stuff for you and for me. Isn't this a good thing? Yeah. It is a good thing. So go and, go and apply these principles, and so it is. Blessings. Thanks. We have musicians around here somewhere. Don't make me get my guitar out again. Oh, here they come. So when I was a kid, I didn't think a lot about heaven and except for that was the place I wanted to go to avoid the alternative and uh, it was actually thinking about that that got me out of the religion I was in because I could never comprehend how a parent could create a child that had the possibility of burning forever in hell. And it was, uh, started a line of thinking that changed the way I saw God. And my thinking on heaven has become that I don't know if it's a real place, and maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But if it is, I believe it's that state of oneness with all, with all, with with the Creator, the Source, God, however we see that that force, and with each other, where we live in our true state of love, and that's what this song's about. There's a time I can recall, four years old and three feet tall. Trying to touch the stars and the cookie jar And both were out of reach Later on in my high school It seemed to me a little cruel How the right words to say always seemed to stay Just out of reach Well, I should not have thought it strange That growing causes growing Cause the more we learn, the more we know We don't know anything But still it seems a tragic fate Living with this quiet ache The constant strain for what remains Just out of reach We are reaching for the future We are reaching
the stars and the cookie jar and both were out of reach. Wow. Thank you, Robin. Robin Walters. Cam Newfeld. All right. What am I doing? Oh, yeah, I remember where I was. <clears throat> Went into that, that space of no thinking. It's always a fascinating experience standing up here in front of you thinking, <laughs> where am I and what am I doing? All right. We have our new uh, um, affirmation cards, and I so handily put mine away. 
And I'd like to invite you to read the blessing on the green side with me, the, the intentional giving card. And thank you so much for those of you, your, your continued financial support, for those of you in our program and those of you that give weekly, we appreciate it so much. Without your support, we wouldn't be able to, wouldn't be able to do this. So I thank you so much for that. So let's read this together. And it begins, I am. I am demonstrating and growing my prosperity consciousness. I live in the flow of abundance. Let's say it together one more time. I am demonstrating and growing my prosperity consciousness. I live in the flow of abundance. And so it is. By giving this gift, I show my faith as I open my heart. My world becomes a better place. I release all fear as I share gratefully. This love that I give always gives back to me. Knowing my oneness with everything else, I know that all that I give, I give. invite our practitioners and ministerial team to come forward and join me on the platform. Four o'clock today, Reverend Catherine McLeod is going to be doing our talk, and I'm going to be back to do In This Very Room along with Jordan. So, uh, and, and Martin's here? Oh yeah, Martin Kerr's doing our, he's doing our, he's our soloist. So anyway, if you're just hanging out at four, come on back. So let's know this once again together. Let us be this prayer. Let us open ourselves in this moment to that I am, knowing in the I am for each person here, I am that clean, hollow vessel of divine expression. I open myself in every way possible. I put down whatever no longer serves me, and I am present in each moment. And when I futurize or pasteurize, I bring myself back to this eternal moment of now. I live in heaven. I am heaven. And so what I know right here and right now is that my life unfolds beautifully and powerfully and wonderfully. And the opportunities, the people, places, and things that I know will move me forward in the most beautiful and powerful way possible. I expect to show up in my life right here and right now. I put down wanting and I stand in the expectation of great good. I say, bring it on. And I open my arms wide for the health, the abundance, the joy, the relationships, the love, and the opportunity to be generous, to serve and to give and share my talents wherever I go. For this I give thanks. I release these words knowing it is done and impressed upon the infinite mind of the one with clarity, focus, ease, and grace. And together we say, and so it is. Let's sing.